as a pastor, any pastor, I'm sure, but as a pastor, you, you are privileged to see life uh, at its best and brightest, and you also see life at its worst and darkest. Anyone that uh, thinks that pastors live in some kind of ivory tower, idealistically separated from the vicissitudes and trials and exigencies of everyday life, is totally out of touch with what really happens. And when you add to that the fact that the pastor is on television and has his name and telephone number in the phone book, you get acquainted with a lot of the problems of life. And I intentionally have my name in the telephone book and telephone number. I don't have an unlisted number. Don't let that suggest to you to call me at midnight unless, <laughs> unless you need me at midnight. Uh, because I do get some midnight calls from weirdos uh, that uh, are disturbing. And they intend it to be, but that, uh, that's another issue. Uh, there's some people that just don't like Baptists. <laughs> and they can get a hold of one at midnight sometimes. Uh, also, uh, you run into people who have uh, interesting and, and questions, and, and serious questions most of the time. Occasionally you get a question like the one I got late one night <clears throat> when a woman called and said, uh, Brother Fanning, I knew she didn't know me too well when she said that, but she said, Brother Fanning, why did God make cockroaches? Do any of you know why God made cockroaches? Um, well, I started off describing the balance of creation and, and why all creatures are necessary and there is an order in all of God's world. I thought, this is sounding crazy. This is not making any sense at all. And I started to say, and I'm glad I resisted the temptation, I started to say, I guess it was so someone could write La Cucaracha. Uh, but that's as good an answer as I could come up with. But anyway, um, I don't know. I philosophized there for a while. And I said, the, the best answer to that is just turn on the light. And, and they'll all disappear, at least temporarily. Well, that's true in life. Uh, there are a lot of things that come into our life. We don't know why they're there. And we don't know what to do to get rid of them. Well, the first step is to turn on some light. And even if the problems don't disappear, we begin to see them in a new light. We begin to see them more clearly. I want to take a passage of Scripture this morning that is very familiar to all of us. I've preached on it numerous times in one way or another. And the many times I have preached on it, I've never consciously preached it exactly the same, for I don't memorize sermons, nor do I read from a manuscript, though I write out and think out at length what I endeavor to say. Yesterday I had uh, four experiences, two of them sad, two of them glad. 
had two weddings yesterday. Yesterday afternoon and last night. Happy time, right here. Flowers, singing, candles, people kissing each other, hugging each other, happy about all that was happening. Wonderful. But I had two sad experiences. Our good friend and devoted deacon had a sadness come into his, into his life. Got a telephone call. Harold Duncan, his brother's daughter, 35 years of age, mother of two, in the back seat of an automobile, her home in Wisconsin. Car was rear-ended, and the young woman was killed. Harold's on a plane right now. He'll be with his brother and family. Sad. We talked and had prayer together. I'm about to see my friend Bob Bridgman, member of this church. His mother, heart attack, sudden. Funeral here on Wednesday. What about life? Best and brightest? Worse than darkest, sad times, glad times. God has a word for them all. And this morning and the few moments I have, I want to walk through for my benefit and hopefully for yours as well, those 119 words that have brought more bright light into my life and more encouragement in discouraged times. More peace in storm-tossed times than any other words in the Scripture. I know them by heart, as you probably know them by heart. If not by heart, you know them in your heart. This was the first passage of Scripture I ever memorized, and I memorized it at the instigation of my mother, who was a great believer in memorizing memorized them before I could even read. And uh, my mother wanted me to show off a little bit before her in-laws, my grandparents, Mr. and Mrs. Allen Fanning in Greenville, who were members of the Cavanaugh Methodist Church there. <clears throat> so we were over there one Sunday visiting, and in my grandmother's Sunday school class, my mother had arranged for me uh, to read the 23rd Psalm uh, which I did uh, stand up there and recited it. I held the Bible as though I were reading it. She wanted to convince everybody that I could read, though I couldn't. Uh, I stood up there, and they knew that I couldn't read because I stood there with my Bible upside down. I didn't know the difference. But I was quoting along as though I were reading the 23rd Psalm. Uh, that... Uh, there may be some parable in that. There is for me at least. That when, when sometimes everything gets turned upside down. This is a great word for God, from God, for us. When life just doesn't seem to be going the way we want it to go. And think it ought to go. 
So if your life is topsy-turvy today, if it's a sad or glad time, this marvelous passage of Scripture, 119 words written by David, will help you. They help me. For the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, and he leadeth me beside the still waters, and he restoreth my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I preached on this a number of ways. Outline form, subject form, topically, textually, expositionally, various ways that preachers preach sermons. This morning I just want to walk through it with you, sentence by sentence, and say some things that have helped me. Now I need to tell you that all the things I'm going to say to you are not original. I don't know where they came from. I've read everything I could get my hands on about this psalm. I've listened to every sermon that I could find on tape about this psalm, simply because it means so much to me. And so what I thought of or what I heard somebody else say or read and became a part of my life, I don't know. But everything I've learned, I've learned from somebody else. And all that's happened is that it's been digested in my own heart and in my own mind and I want to share a few salient thoughts with you this morning on those marvelous words. For the Lord is my shepherd. The psalm begins, one reason we like it, I believe, is because it begins so positively. It begins with a high note. It begins with a trumpet sound. It doesn't begin with a plea. It begins with a profession. It doesn't begin with a petition. It begins with a proclamation. Nothing wrong with petitions. Oh, Lord, be my shepherd. I have prayed that. And it's appropriate at times to pray that. But one reason I believe we love this psalm and it attracts our hearts so powerfully is because it begins with such an exclamation mark, the Lord is my shepherd. You don't have to ask him to be. He already is. You do not have to be aware of his presence for him to be there. You do not have to ask already received. The Lord is my shepherd. Listen to that word is. That's present tense. Not the Lord was back in the good old days or the Lord will be out there in some future millennium, but the Lord is right now in the middle of the valley in the silent years as we are talking about in the walk through the Bible. When there's no word from some prophet, no word from Malachi to Matthew with the presence of God with his people. And when there is no Malachi or Matthew in your life, verbally speaking at the moment, either literally or figuratively, listen to what God is saying that he is. God was not an absentee landlord during those interbiblical years. And the Lord is no absentee landlord in your life. Even when we're not conscious of him, he is conscious of us. 
And when we're not thinking of him, he is thinking of us. The Lord is, present tense, one little word, one syllable, two letters, is. The Lord is. The Lord is. The Lord is. My shepherd. Listen to that personal pronoun. Martin Luther, I know who said this. Martin Luther said, the strength of the Christian religion is its personal pronouns. The Lord is a shepherd, terrific. The Lord is the shepherd, terrific. The Lord is my personal pronoun. That's the climactic testimony of the book of John. The book of John really ends with the 20th chapter, and John added the 21st chapter as a P.S. when he told about Simon Peter and Jesus getting back together again at the Sea of Galilee. It really ends in the upper room with Thomas exclaiming, for Thomas had not been present the week before when the, when the Lord appeared to the disciples following his resurrection, but he was present on that next, that next week when Jesus came and Thomas was there, and Thomas had said, I won't believe that he's been raised from the dead unless I can see the nail prints in his hand and the spear wound in his side. And so the Lord came to show him the nail prints in his hand and the wound in his side. And when Thomas saw it, he exclaimed, you know it, Thomas exclaimed what? My Lord, my Lord, my God, not just the Lord, my Lord, my God. He is mine. You remember that old chorus? He is mine. He is mine. Loving me, seeking me, finding me, keeping me. He is mine. The Lord is my shepherd, and that's the theme of the psalm. The psalm is written from the perspective of a sheep. <clears throat> when you read it, when you think about it, please keep that in mind. What David has done in this psalm is in his vivid imagination and with his sensitive spirit, he has crawled inside the mind of one of his sheep, for David was a shepherd boy. And he is identifying himself with the sheep, not with shepherd. In this psalm, you have the musings of a sheep. And it's the sheep that's speaking. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus, the great shepherd of the flock, said, why, why do you worry so much about things, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear? Don't you believe that the Lord, your God, will take care of you? I'm your shepherd. You'll not want. You'll not want for forgiveness. You'll not want for strength. You'll not want for my presence. I am with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures and leadeth me beside the still waters. Just a brief stop here, though an important one. We need green pasture time in our lives. We Baptists particularly are very active people, and I like that. I'm that way myself. We need times beside the green pastures and the still water. We need to be safe. The implication is very clear. Sheep will not lie down as long as they're hungry. They'll keep searching for food until they've gotten uh, enough sustenance. And so that's, that statement verifies the previous statement. 
When the shepherd said, I shall not want, he didn't have, he didn't want for anything. He was full. He laid down. Green pastures and still waters. God had provided his need. God wants to provide that ministry in your life and in mine. We read a lot about burnout. A lot being written about pastoral burnout. As a pastor, I hear those and read those in religious journals. 1,300 Baptist preachers resigned or were fired this past year among, in Southern Baptist churches. Saw a cartoon. Pulpit, church like this, and right here where the pastor usually stands was just a just sort of a brown spot on the carpet. The person said, I believe our pastor is suffering from burnout. And there he was, just a smudge on the carpet. Well, we need green pasture time. That can happen to anybody and to everybody. We all know that about, about stress. And being in God's work doesn't minimize stress. Sometimes it accentuates it because you're endeavoring to do what you believe God wants you to do. We end up with, with Elijah-itis. Whether you know what Elijah-itis is or not, Elijah, the great prophet of God, who got so discouraged after a great victory that he prayed to die. He wanted to die. He asked God to take his life. He had Elijah-itis. He had the infection of discouragement. It comes from overextending ourselves often, physically, mentally, and even spiritually. Mary and Martha both lived in the same house. Busy Martha contemplated Mary. Both of them lived in the same house and both of them need to live in the same life. We need the active, we need the contemplative. We need to be involved, we need to export, we need to exhale, we also need to import and inhale. We need to be refreshed. Jesus did. I don't know why we think that we don't have to do what Jesus did. And he told his disciples, come apart and rest a while. You know what he meant? You come apart and rest a while or you'll just come apart. And that can happen to any of us. It can happen to all of us. We need green pasture time, still water time. He restoreth my soul. That literally means he brings me back from wandering. Sheep are prone to wander. That's their nature. They always think they're greener pastures somewhere else. We're sheep, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Jesus called us sheep. He said, you are my sheep. Well, what are sheep like? They like to wander. And they can't, they can't see very well. And they're finicky. And they get sick easily. And frankly, they're kind of dumb. A sheep gets lost, it can't find its way home. Your dog or cat can find its way home. If you had a sheep, it couldn't. They have to go, they have to be found. And he brings us back. Jesus told that great parable in the 15th chapter of Luke. If you have a hundred sheep and you lose one of them, what do you do? Do you go out and call the sheep? That won't help. Do you wait for him to come home when he gets hungry? He can't do it. What do you do? You go after him until you find him, Jesus said. He restoreth my soul. He brings me back from wandering. That's why we're all here today. We're here today because we've been brought back 
may have been a parent or a friend or a teacher or someone, a husband, a wife, uh, someone in our life has been the instrument of God to help bring us back into the fold of fellowship. He restoreth my soul. Do you remember the old hymn, Prone to Wander, Lord? I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love? Sure. That's part of being a sheep. But he restoreth my soul. He brings me back from wandering, and he leadeth me in the right paths. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me in good paths. And where do those good paths sometimes lead? Oh, they always lead to the mountaintop, to the sunshine, to pleasantries. Not always. Be honest about life, God's telling us. Look at it realistically, not some sort of self-imposed euphoria. Look at it realistically. Sometimes following God means valleys. The Yea, though I walk, following you. He's leading me. Look at this. See the picture. He's leading me. And he leads me into the valley of the shadow of death. When you hear someone well-meaning, sincere, conscientious, I don't question that at all, and no doubt devoted Christians. But when you hear someone, a preacher, a pastor, a teacher, anyone, anywhere, say to you that the reason you're having some difficulties is because you don't have enough faith or because you've sinned, you put a big question mark after what you've just heard because that may be the case because sometimes we do have problems, we all know, and sometimes we do have difficulties because of our own choices and our own activities. But listen, sometimes difficult things happen to meet people. Most often difficult things happen to people because that's the way life is and it's not because you have intentionally, consciously sinned and God is punishing you for that sin or because you don't have enough faith. You listen to David. You sometimes have trouble because you follow the Lord. Look at Jesus. Lived by perfect faith and was a perfect person, and yet he suffered all of the temptations that you and I suffer. He was betrayed by his friends, ignored by his fellow countrymen, crucified, misunderstood by his family, why? Because he was not following the will of God? No, because he was following the will of God. How do you explain the ministry of the Apostle Paul? In jail because he did something wrong? Punished because of some spiritual indiscretion in his own life? Martyred in Rome because he had denied the Lord? No, he got into hot water because he was following the Lord. And the same thing will happen to us. Jesus said, if it happens to me, it's going to happen to you. In this world, he said, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For listen, thou art with me. That's the key. God is not off somewhere on the mountaintop saying, hey, look at them struggling down there in the valley. He is down there with us in the valley, leading us through the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, 
for you are with me. I'm thinking of so many things I want to say and I've got to edit it right now, but I want, I want to emphasize this. I pointed out before, and some of you will know it instantly, and maybe it'll be new to some of you. Have you, have you noticed the change of language when, when the sheep got into, the, into trouble, into the valley? Up until that moment, the sheep has been describing the shepherd. You see that? He's been describing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh, he, notice that, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's standing there describing his flower. He does this, and he does this, and he does this, and he does that. Look at that. Isn't that marvelous? He's done all of those things for me. Isn't that terrific? And it is terrific. But notice the change in the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. That's not what it says. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He's no longer talking about the shepherd. He's talking to the shepherd. He's talking to him. When the deep valley came, God was no longer someone that he objectively described. He was someone he intimately knew. We know a lot about Jesus. We know where he was born, some of the things in his ministry, some of his teaching. We can know about his crucifixion, his resurrection. We know all about that. We can go out and describe that. But is, is Jesus an objective description to you or a subjective experience within you? Only you can answer that. Is Jesus a he or a you? Is you? Yea, though I walk through, notice that word through, you're going to make it. God's going to be with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. John Wesley said, the best of all is God is with us. I love that. The best of all is God is with us. The best of all is God is with us in the valley. And we're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Not the valley of death. A Christian will never walk through the valley of death. The reason we'll never walk through the valley of death where our souls die or go to sleep or be put off in some ante room awaiting the return of the Lord or to some place where we get purified uh, in a process and finally graduate to heaven. That's not biblical. It's not biblical. We immediately go into the presence of him because he is immediately with us. What we call death is just the name we put on this side of the door. On the other side is the word life. So we'll never walk through the valley of death. As the old Negro spiritual said it, 
and sang it so beautifully and so appropriately. He done walked that lonesome valley all by himself so that you and I will never have to walk it alone. The valley not of death, but the valley of the shadow of death. There's no substance to a shadow. You see some shadows up here. There's shadows in this room. And you couldn't have a shadow in here unless you first had what? A light. No shadow without a light. The reason death is but a shadow to those of us who know the shepherd is not because of us, but because of him. He is the light of the world. And it is his light that turns our death into a shadow. And we're going through it. It has no substance for us. For he hath swallowed up death in victory. So Paul could stand in the cemetery and sing the doxology. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, there's the doxology. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going through the valley of the shadow of death. Thou art with me. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. The rod used to protect the sheep from external enemies. A good shepherd could throw that rod with dexterity at 20 yards. Could kill a wild dog at 20 yards with that rod. The staff was used to rescue the sheep, to guide them. When they fell into a crevice or were caught, he used the, the hook or crook on the end of that staff to pull a sheep back up. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Ah, oh, I skipped a phrase. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. The table, I do not think, was a table like I'll eat off of at noon today. I believe it was a tabletop, a mesa like you see in West Texas and Israel and other places, where the shepherd would graze his sheep. The shepherd would take the end of that staff and pull out of the ground poisonous grass. For there is a poisonous grass in Israel that at certain times of the year will kill the sheep if they eat it. He'll also look for and drive back any poisonous serpents, vipers, that could attack and kill the sheep. You see the shepherd's leading his sheep, and what he does, he prepares the table before them. They're following him. He's going before them, preparing the table. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. There are my enemies over there. There are my enemies over there. There are my enemies over there. He's preparing the table before me. You see, when I get into trouble is when I begin to think I know more about what God, what I ought to do than what God wants me to do. And so I start going off out here on my own. That's when I get into poisonous grass. That's when I run into fiery serpents. When I follow him, I follow him on land that has been prepared before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. Shepherd did that every morning. He put oil on the head of the sheep because that oil would protect them from sunstroke, hot sun. And it would also have a, had a protective, a curative power about it. That oil would help cure an in scratches or nicks that the sheep get while they're grazing. And those of you familiar with Bible study realize that, that oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. 
in the Bible. And what does the oil of the Holy Spirit do in our lives? The same thing that the oil did on the head of the sheep. The New Testament says that the Holy Spirit seals us and heals us. That's exactly what the oil did on the head of the sheep, and that's what the oil of the Holy Spirit will do on your life. Heals and seals his people. My cup runneth over. The sheep come in in the evening, and I've seen it, and you've heard me tell it at Cana of Galilee. Late in the evening, the sheep came in. There was a great big bowl, a great big cup, big receptacle, looked like a big wash tub, except it had a round bottom, hole dug in the ground, that big thing sitting there full of water, and those sheep were in there pushing each other, nudging one another, trying to get up there and push their face down into that, into that water. And what would happen to the water when all those sheep start sticking their face into it? It'd spill over. That doesn't seem too important to us until we realize how precious water is in that part of the world. It's the most precious item, water. And here the shepherd stands there and sees the most precious possession he has from a material standpoint, that water being spilled. He's not over there telling the sheep, hey, back up, get away from me, don't do it. My cup runs over. He is willing to sacrifice the most precious item in the world for the welfare of his sheep. Listen to that. He is willing to sacrifice the most precious item in the world for your welfare. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. He sacrificed his own son. For there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's bank and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stain. He spilled over his own blood, his own son, for you. And surely, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Angel Martinez, great evangelist, is going to conduct a revival for us in 1991. Angel Name those two sheepdogs of the Lord's goodness and mercy. He said, those are the Lord's two sheepdogs. One's named goodness, the other one named mercy. I love that. Goodness and mercy will follow me. Listen to that. Not fear and retribution. Not guilt and punishment. Not a God that's mad at the world and angry at you. Paul said, it is the love of Christ that constrains us, not the fear of Christ. Goodness and mercy follow me. Who's leading me? The Lord. Who follows me? His two sheepdogs. Goodness and mercy to help me stay on the grazing line to stay out of the poisonous grass. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
And so, my friend, this morning, what I invite you to do, if you have trusted the Lord in your heart, and he is a person to you, recommit yourself to him. Be reassured by the promise of this psalm, promise after promise, truth after truth, that he is with you, and that he'll guide you and protect you and give you strength and bring you through. But if you don't know the shepherd, if you've never trusted the shepherd, if you just know about him and have never come to call him my Lord, my God, my shepherd, my friend, my Savior, do that this morning. I'll be right here at the base of this aisle to welcome you and to share in the decision you make. And as the pastor, the under-shepherd of the flock, he is the shepherd of the flock, he is the head of the church. We're just his sub-shepherd to invite you, to invite all of us to follow. Will you come this morning? Just as I am, I come. That's the way we can come, just as we are. We can't come as we're not or as we would like to be. We come as we are. And he takes us as we are and leads us and guides us. Let him do that. Let's stand and sing.